This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 111th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My show is formally called Sports and Stuff, and I have as my special guest for the second time, Steve Bunin. Steve was uh, on my show back in October 2019 on the 58th edition, a whole different era, but, but Steve's back and appreciate doing this. My uh, tech producer is Lucius Tenebris, who's doing a very good job for me, and my podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbean. You can also go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Steve, let me get back to you. Steve uh, Buting grew up in Mercer Island, Washington, right outside of Seattle. Uh, he's worked at uh, King 5 TV in Seattle, an NBC affiliate now for several years. Steve had an almost decade run at ESPN from 2003 through 2012. He anchored shows such as... Uh, Outside the Lions, Sports Center, College Football Live, Baseball Tonight. Uh, Steve was also a lead anchor in, in Houston for Comcast Sports. Steve, uh, again, thank you so much for coming back on the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love it. I, so I'm trying to do the math in my head. I was on the 55th, and now the 111th. So whatever the next like double number, 202 or 222, I'll expect another phone call. And you also have special guest, uh, one of my Huskies. Cute, cute dog. See, maybe I'll get you back on the 120th if this show's still yeah. around. So we, we don't have to wait that long. So 58 to 111. We'll, we'll, we'll make it sooner next time if you're up for it. Well, well, first of all, Steve, uh, what is new at King 5? Uh, can you tell us what you're up to and, and what's going on? A lot. You know, I mean, it doesn't end whether it's politics or uh, COVID, sports, pop culture, you name it. But obviously, pandemic, I think, is first and foremost for, for most of our viewers. Or that's how we view things when we do stories on um, getting schools back, what's going on with uh, mask mandates and uh, restaurants, uh, the streeteries, um, uh, get people getting boosters. When are the kids going to get, you know, uh, eligible little kids, especially that's a big one. I think we get a lot of the time. So I'd say those are the biggest things. And, and of course, politics on the national level with, you know, whether it's Biden, Trump, Congress, our Congress people there, our senators, or, or, or in Olympia, um, you know, we were just talking today on our show about uh, potentially new new taxes that could or couldn't be coming, school levies. So what's one of the things I like about it? I mean, I love doing sports, and I'm, I'd be thrilled to talk sports with you for an hour. But I also like that making this transition for me in news because I feel like I have that sports background. But I'm super interested in politics and uh, medicine and science. My my wife, one of my brothers, my dad's a doctor, so I've been kind of surrounded by that in my my personal life. So that's been interesting too. To, go through this pandemic with, with them in my ears and um, and and uh, having a, a you know an ability to kind of jump in all those uh, waters swim in all those waters so that's yeah that's just a little of what we're <laughs> what we're doing there are, are you are you doing stuff pretty much at King five all day long or do, do you have a do you have a particular rotation right now yeah so for me personally I anchor our noon show Monday through Friday um i fill in on the mornings and also in the evenings and i also do two different kinds of stories generally we call them day turns so this is like um something happens at 10 a.m we have other reporters assigned to things that they've been working on throughout the day so hey the a press conference happened steve we need you to turn something within the day a day turns you turn a, pa a story in a quick time so i do a lot of those um trying to think one off the top of my head uh, last week, um, whales, it's not the Southern resident orca, the killer whales are not doing good here, but different kinds of whales as it turns out are, or at least they had a good year with the number of whales getting pregnant. So we found out about that. Steve, can you do something with that? Sure, interview one of the experts, turn it around, bang, bang, bang. So it's not necessarily like an in-depth piece. 
And then the other stuff that I do is called our verify segments, which is much more in-depth, kind of like um, bite-sized investigative journalism, I would say. So uh, it is what it sounds like. T take a statement. You know, I heard that, um, um, you know, you can, you can, I don't know, get vaccinated against COVID by taking ivermectin. Okay, that's a claim. We're hearing it. Let's talk to the doctors. Let's talk to the scientists. Let's talk to people who, you know, and then verify whether that's true or not. And we do stories that are political, stories that are environmental. Um, it, when the Seahawks get good again, I want to do one on like, is the Seahawks stadium the loudest stadium? Because we heard that for a while, but then Kansas City fans say theirs is the loudest. So I like doing that because I like the idea of verify, which is cut through the clutter. There's, there's no bias. There's just what does the science say? What are the facts? It, it, are we the loudest stadium or are we not? We can say that we're the loudest fans or they can argue that we piped it in with fake sound. But like either we are or we aren't, you know, either the inauguration crowd is the biggest or it isn't that there's there's I, I like being able to separate separate fact from fiction. And I also love learning. So I'm talking and doing these verify stories to some of the top doctors and scientists in the country based here or based somewhere else. Or I did one on suicides recently. So here's a good one. I'll throw this at you which is, uh, or maybe you saw it on my post, but the, the general belief that suicides go up during the winter months, doom and gloom, people get laid off, it's a wonderful life. But as it turns out, that's actually the opposite. Suicides actually happen the least in the I winter. I didn't know that. Interesting. And yes, yeah, so I read about that and I said, well, that's a good, like, you know, verify. Why is that the case? And so there are different theories as to why, but the statistics are, and so we got the statistics from the CDC and from this uni University of Pennsylvania, this PhD did a study in it. Every single year, they actually are the lowest, in part because there's not as many hours in the day and more suicides happen during the day and, and other, other theories abound. But um, but important to get that, to, to not only just notate that there's an actual misconception, but why why the misconception and, and, and the takeaway that one of the things is we're nicer to each other, basically, in, in the winter months. We're thinking of the holidays, people give more, uh, they give away clothes more, they you know donate more money to uh, organizations that help. And so suicide experts, PhDs, who, you know, who specialize in suicides, um, say that if we, if we behaved like that year round, we would, fewer people would attempt suicide. Um, and, and if we misattribute the cause to the doom and gloom of the winter month, which is a real thing, they say, that's a real phenomenon, but people don't act on it as much. But if we misattribute it to that, then we miss the real cause. And why are people actually sad? And why are people driven to that? So uh, I don't, that was just something that I had, you know, I, I randomly came across and I thought, this cool thing, and it, if if it affects anyone, that would be the ideal. If someone is watching it, they had a family member, or they themselves is feeling a certain way, um, maybe it can can help. So I, I like the fact that I can do all that stuff, and then have silly things about pop culture and the Oscars, and um, that's that's one of the things I love, love about my job. You're a real multi-purpose guy at King Five, yeah. Steve. I want to share this with you. You're mentioning about you know facts and and, and ascertaining information. Here's some of my favorite lines. The late U.S. Senator Pat Moynihan once said, "Everyone's entitled to their own opinions, not their own facts." I just love that line. So yeah, I think it is one of the defining statements you can make about our society today. Um, and uh, you know, not to get too into whatever, but I just I just feel that. So I, I see a lot with my wife. So she's a two types of doctor. She's an MD. She's a rheumatologist, and she's an a P, she has a PhD, a doctorate in immunology. So the immunology, that's like, this is vaccines, uh, viruses, that's like literally her wheelhouse. And she is spending, she, right now she's in our basement on a, like a, not a Zoom call, but watching a, a podcast about with virologists from all around the world, watching all the time. She, I mean, 
She studied for years to get her PhD, and she didn't just drop the, you know, the, the drop the ball there. She's every day, all the time. Certainly much more smart than lady, right? And but 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 also humble because I, the, I when I every expert I interview, the the kind of more accomplished they are, the more humble they are about what they don't know and what we don't know, and they couch everything with this is what we know so far, and so I see what she, and she's not the only one, right? I mean, there's hundreds of other immunologists around our country and the world, or thousands, and I see what effort they put in and then i hear someone like joe rogan saying with the research that i did that's not what i've read and you're not that goes back to you not entitled to your opinion you you can read you can google for five minutes or you can spend 20 years eight hour days studying something and just like i wouldn't lecture joe rogan on how to do comedy i did stand-up <laughs> comedy once i was okay i've seen stand-up comedy I think I know some general things. People got to stay in their lanes of expertise. I, I no, I don't. Uh, well, yeah, sort of. I mean, not not to stay in your lane about not having an opinion, but but when you're basing it on what you determined is to be a fact, that's the fallacy. And I think it's insulting to doctors who do this, who spend their lives doing it. If if someone want, on the street wants to say what they think it takes to be a sportscaster at ESPN, that's okay. I've lived it, so I can just tell you what it's like. And I have the same humility when I need to fix, you know, my faucet. I can Google it and maybe do okay, but I'm going to trust the plumber. And that nine, if nine out of 10 plumbers say something, I'm going to believe them. And I'm not going to believe the one out of a hundred who, who doesn't. And the same thing with doctors. So you may find one doctor who says, now ivermectin is a great thing. When you have 9,999 other doctors saying it's not, it's for a, it's a parasite. It's different from a virus and it's differently used. And it is used in some countries for parasites that they have there it has nothing to do with COVID. And if you're, you, know, you want to spend the time to listen to them and listen to the actual scientific differences. Like my eyes will roll over, but they'll roll over out of respect of like. No, okay, I, I agree with you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I you agree know with what you. You, you, fought, you, you go to a, you defer to a plumber. You, you, you give people in their in their particular fields more deference. Yeah. Steve, I want to ask you something. Um, you do a fun five minute segment about once a week with the NBC Meet the Press host Chuck Todd. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. It's like a Cliff's Notes version of Meet the Press, watching Buna and Todd uh, have your 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 talk on sports and politics. Really enjoy it. Recommend it. And I, I you know, I'm a news junkie, but I can't necessarily watch every news show. So um, I want to ask you, how did that segment develop, um, Steve? And are you the only NBC affiliate broadcaster who has this once a week segment with Chuck Todd? No, we'll kind of we'll take you behind the curtain a little bit. Okay, so, please do. Um, not all. So he does a handful of these. I don't know the number of affiliates, if it's six or 16, but he does them sort of back to back to back. It's part of his assignment. So he's, I think he hosts, it's called Meet the Press Daily, and he's often on MSNBC or NBC or CNBC in the mornings and our time, Seattle time. And then um, starting at whenever, he starts doing these sort of four-minute interviews or three to four-minute interviews with different affiliates. Uh, who, who NBC affiliates who sign up for it or, or whatever, and, and predates me. Um, and when I started to get assigned, and we do it on Fridays at 1240, basically, it's kind of locked in. Um, when I started doing the show, I just, so I've done a lot of these in, um, when I was at ESPN, uh, the, you know, satellite interviews or, or, you know, where they're they're doing a handful of them. And I, I just know from experience, not even being on that end so much, but being on, on the end where you're interviewing, if you're doing the 10 in a row, it can get monotonous. Even if they're excited about a movie, you know, I would interview, I don't know, Mark Wahlberg about the boxing movie or the, or the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles movie that he did, where he plays Dick, or Dick from, anyway. And um, and you could just tell, like, they're tired. By the time they get to you, they've, done, they've answered the same sort of, you know, there's only about how many questions can you ask about the movie. And, they've, and the, so you're asking eight of the same questions. 
And I always found that asking something totally out, out of the box was a great way to liven it up. So for a while, when iPods were new, this was my thing. I started to get a little reputation. It was before Twitter, so the public didn't care. But within ESPN, I was the iPod guy. Because I would say we'd have Shaq on, and I would start it out instead of asking him about you know the game last night or his you know, a new sports drink he's selling. I would say, you know, what's, what's, what's this, you know, top songs on your iPod right now? Or I did that LeBron James. I remember he was kind of like, Oh, great question. And it, it took him out of his like robot. I'm going to do 20 interviews. So anyway, I apply that. I don't ask the iPod question, but I apply it to Chuck. And early on I, I did that. And I not, not knowing, but just presuming that he had been doing these for a handful of years and a handful and every Friday that he might enjoy it, but it still has some sort of repetitiveness to it. And I tried to break it. So I asked him, you know, we only have three basically minutes, so it's time for three questions. So I asked, you know, topic number one, whatever presidency, topic number two, Congress, and then three, instead of asking another hard political question, which even for our viewers, it's the first time they're hearing, but I just know from his perspective, perspective, it's the 27th time he's answering about the economy and the whatever. And so I said something, I, the first one was like, you know, you went to high school in, in Miami, what, 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 were you, what were you like in high school? And he's kind of like, well, I, and I'm just making it up. But anyway, I played the band. I think he, yeah, he was a French horn player or something in college. So I played the band and I was into politics and I just felt like I learned something about him. And I always feel, I put myself like in unequal footing with the viewer. I feel like, well, the viewer might be interested to know that. Even if you're not a fan of his or you're not a fan of politics, at least it's something, right? It's like, I'm showing you my dog. I didn't do it on purpose, but hey, you know something about my life now. I got a Husky. And the same thing with him. And then the next time I just asked, you know, so you must be like a Miami Dolphins fan. And he's like, no, 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 I'm actually a Packers fan because my dad was a Packers fan. Okay. So now every once in a while I ask him about the Packers. And um, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. When, you know, when the Oscars are coming up, I ask him about the Oscars. Now, sometimes it's, a, it's risky. And I know with a guy like him, he's good enough. If you're a network uh, anchor reporter, I know that I can put him, I don't send him my questions in advance. So, um, he's good enough that even if he hasn't watched any of the Oscar movies, he can answer it in a way that doesn't embarrass himself or embarrass me where he says, well, why would you ask that? Because you might, that's, that's the swing and miss sort of philosophy. You guys have a good back and forth. It's fun when you get into non-political stuff with him as well. I think so, so too. I think, and it adds to it. I think it, I think, and I know now that he looks forward because my producers tell me as he's sort of getting ready, finishing, you know, St. Louis or Salt Lake or whatever, before he gets to us, um, that he's, he's just seems a little more energetic and not, not that I'm the you know greatest thing since sliced bread, but I just think it's a, it's a tool that I use to liven him up. I'm into politics, but I'm also into pop culture. So I like having that back and forth so that it's not just, here's a question about Biden. Here's a question about Kamala Harris. And here's a question about uh, Pramila Jayapal or, or whatever. Um, so I, I enjoy doing it. And that's kind of what's, what's grown. And you know, people like you who are kind of to say nice things that, you know, hopefully that's what, makes it a little more attractive than just three questions about politics is that it feels like it's really you're kind of getting to know him a little bit and you're getting that insight that he has from his, you know, 20 year career in DC. Well, I'm going to recommend that people go to the Bunin um, uh, <laughs> Facebook or Twitter site and take a look at the Chuck Todd interviews Thanks. you do. This is uh, Paul Schneiderman, the host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Um, remember to please like and comment, subscribe to uh, Amazon or Spotify, and you can go to my website, sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Steve, I, I want to ask you something. And when you were on last time, I'm trying to get some questions I didn't get to you last time. So I have this book here, Distant Replay, Washington State's oh Jewish God. Sports Heroes. came out in 2014, and uh, two oh, members wow. of the tribe talking today, two, two, <laughs> two Seattle Jewish guys talking today. And it was neat to see you profile in that book in the media section. I want to throw in my late grandfather, Harry Schneiderman's in the book. He was a UW. Oh, yeah. So um, there's a story in the book, Steve. It's a very 
I want the listeners to learn about it more. It's very powerful. I want you to share um, a little bit about the late Ari Grashen, a 16-year-old kid who sadly died in 2002 of cancer. And why don't you share, Steve, your ties to Ari and a little bit about um, Ari. Yeah, I, I love talking about Ari. There's a picture of him right over, you can't see it, but right over here on our wall. So uh, one of the stories of my journey in my career is that I was unemployed a lot. I, I always envisioned this like, I'll work here for a year and here for three years and here for five. And instead in my 20s, it was like employed, unemployed, employed, unemployed. So I did a lot of odd jobs and, and was back home in Seattle a lot living at my parents' house, back in my old bedroom. Very, very you know enthusiastically when you're in your 20s and your old, you know, <laughs> five-year-old bedroom. Anyway, so one of the things I did was uh, I was substitute teaching and I like working with kids and I had done a lot of coaching in basketball and a buddy of mine who I played basketball with said, Hey, I coach the Yeshiva high school. That's the Jewish high school in uh, the Seattle area, the Orthodox Jewish kids, which I wasn't Orthodox, you know, at all growing up. Um, but I, but I am Jewish. And uh, he, and he said, I'm coaching this team. Do you want to, do you want to help? And I said, sure. And he was kind of a roll out the ball, like, you know, not that he was on his cell phone, but he just wasn't wasn't that into it. And I came from a public school background at Mercer Island High School where it was like, it was very Bobby Knight in the 80s. You know, you're on time, your shoes are tied, we're running. You know, you, it was very precision. So I walk in the first practice and it's like, kids are late, there's no organization. And I just, what am I doing? I, 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 mean, I may be unemployed, but I have better things to do with my time than watch a bunch of 15-year-old kids not try hard. And so I asked him, do you mind if I just kind of, do it as differently. He was like, do whatever you want. So then I come in and I'm like, Mr. Intensity. So most of the kids weren't ready for that. And although many of them grew to like it, there was the one kid who liked it right off the bat. And it was kind of like the Jimmy Chitwood a little bit. Not that I was the Gene Hackman, but we're like, he was the one kid who you who was our, our best player, Ari is this kid. And um, and he really loved it. And so since he dived in, some of the other players dived in and it sort of helped me. So that but um, so this was like this is after September 11th. So this was 2001, October or, or so. Uh, but even then, he was kind of in practices. He would have to sit out. He's like, I'm getting dizzy spells, and we're, you know, you know, you know, he's a teenager. Maybe he's just going through a growth spur, or he's just grumpy, or you know, who knows what. And you chalk it up to a million other things. And then the first game that we play, and he was by far our best returning player. He was a sophomore. He we assigned him, we assigned him to the other team's best player. And and at this point, I'm kind of you know getting my hands on super coaching. And and but it's the first game of the season. And 10 seconds in, he just kind of stumbles and topples over. Didn't lose consciousness, but he just fell over. We sub him out, and he's embarrassed. You know, we're just like, all right. So we're in the school gymnasium. Anyway, one of the other kids on the team, his mom is a doctor. She brings him up behind the the theater stage in the, in the gymnasium and and says, um, "So I'm giving you all the details. It's hard for me to talk about Ari without going into the details. So I'll I'll try to <laughs> make it more concise. But anyway, I, she says, do this with with uh, you know your left hand, and he's doing this. T tap your thumb and finger together, and then she says, do it with your other hand, and it's as fast as you can. And it's like this." And so she she's like, okay, we got to get you tested. So he had brain cancer is the short story. And then of the kinds you want to get, he had the bad kind. And then of that, 75 medulloblastoma is what it's called. So 75% of people, I guess it's benign and you're kind of okay. And then 25% you're not. And if you're in the 25%, you're really not. And so unfortunately he was in that. He had surgery, but it, it kind of didn't, didn't cure him. And so he fought for a year. So in this time, I'm also trying to apply still for TV jobs all over the country because I'm not, I mean, I like coaching, but I'm trying to move on with my life. So it's a weird time for me where I'm trying to leave, but I'm falling in love with this team and this kid, Ari. And again, I didn't grow up observant Jewish at all. I'm very proud of what, how I grew up conservative, but it, but it just wasn't, it was a whole different world. And I had my perceptions about what Orthodox meant, you know, payas, rabbis, long beards, 
people, you know, dominating all the time. It just wasn't my world. And then these kids, a lot of them have told me, like, they had their perceptions about what non-Orthodox Jews were. We know, eats ham and cheese. What is he talking about? He doesn't, doesn't know what Judaism is. So we had this kind of dual metamorphosis as I became more and more involved with the team, and they and I wasn't getting a TV job uh, for a while. Um, and Ari was obviously in, in, uh, incapable of playing. He couldn't play, but we had him on the, I had him on the bench whenever I could. And I started just, his parents were amazing. I asked if I could help, and they said, anything that makes our son smile. So I kind of took them at their word. And because I was either substitute teaching or unemployed or not doing anything, other than coaching, I had a lot of downtime. So I spent a lot of time with him at his family's house in Seward Park in Seattle, where the Orthodox Jewish community is by and large here. And uh, it was everything from just watching sports to um, taking him to rehab appointments, doing rehab with him, um, taking him out for- He was pizza. like a little brother, a little cousin to like, you. Well, yeah, and yeah, it's funny because yeah. he he's the third of four boys in his family. Mm -hmm. He had three brothers. He's the third. I have the same. I'm the third out of four boys. And yeah, it was this mixture. It was like coach, player, mentor, mentee, big brother, not a father figure. You know, I am really great friends with his dad still to this day. So I never, I always was very careful trying to be with the family about respecting my place in this whole sure. weird thing, but also the way his, so the way his buddies, his teammates all like, so I learned what Orthodox Jews do on Friday night to Saturday. They like turn everything off and they're in order to then have any kind of social life, you're with, you know, your friends and families, you have big meals together. You're off of this, not that cell phones were as big, but you're off of the cell phone. There's no TV. You're not driving to a Husky game. So I did all that and loved it, but I started to spend Sabbath or Shabbat or Shabbos with them and all his kids, all his buddies there the whole time. It's, it was like this jovial atmosphere, even though it was, had the, you know, umbrella of cancer and, and you kind of, you know, what was coming, but it was, it, 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 it just wasn't never kind of trending in a great direction, even though we had hope at different times. But anyway, so it lasted a year until he finally passed away, but he just changed my life. I ended up becoming more observant. I met my wife around that time. Um, this doctor who I've been telling you about, she's amazing. And she became really close with the family. And um, it just has colored everything about my life, how I uh, work with kids, my what I consider my humility, um, what's important. I, have a, I feel like I have a strong perspective on life because I saw one of the big biggest tragedies I think in life, which is a kid going through cancer or, you know, a kid dying. Like I think once you see that things get whipped into focus. So I don't get stressed about little things anymore. Just, a, it, I get stressed like everyone. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sell myself off, but it just, uh, it, I think it made, you know, it, it just shaped my, shaped my life in a way. And he shaped my life in a way that I'll, I can never repay. I mean, I know, um, you know, his family and he would say, you know, I'm, he was, thrilled that I was part of his life, but I, I got way more out of that relationship uh, than he did. And, but even like, so I'll tell you, so I get the job interview at ESPN. This is a year and a half later. I finally get my job in Kalamazoo, Michigan. A year later, I get the interview at ESPN and I'm appropriately nervous, I think, because you have to do an audition. You're sitting there on set in Bristol. And I, I just wrote his initials, A.G., Ari Gresham. I wrote his initials down on the script on the, I can imagine right now with the, the, the you know, shot sheets in the script. And it just kept me calm. Like I kept thinking, you know, I wanted to be great. I was, you know, trying to be prepared and energetic, but also if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world because I know what the end of the world is. So it's like just having his presence and writing his initials down really helped me in this otherwise super stressful where I could have just totally, you know, got, got uh, out of my own, got in my own way by getting out of my mind. And so he helped, he helped me with that. And, um, as a, as a dad now, I think I'm a better dad than I would have been had I never met him. And I wish I, I wish it all went away and he was back. Wow. And this. He, 
my fingers. This right. late young man had such an impact in your life, Steve. You know, Steve, I had our mutual friend, Steve Kelly. He's a friend of mine. I've had him on a show a few times, and Steve Kelly shared with me a lot about Ari as well. So, yeah. um, very powerful story. Hey, you know, I, when I had you on last, I mean, could talk about Ari the whole interview, but I, I know, wanted, sorry. I, 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 I hate I know, to, you know, sometimes when I transition to from something serious to less serious, you know, I always feel kind of guilty, but I'm sure you can relate to that. But I, no, I we wanted, had a lot of silly moments too. I mean, he yeah. was amazing. You know, he was a great kid. Hey, you know, when you were on my show last time, Steve, I, I asked you a question I've been asking uh, many guests on my show the last couple of years. I asked you who's an who's a living sports figure you'd love to interview, have a conversation with. I believe you mentioned Steve Largent. You gave a great I was answer. I say, that's my question. Yeah, first. but here's the, the second question. I don't think I asked you a little over two years ago. Who's a deceased sports person history you would have loved to have interviewed or had a conversation with? Great question. Jim Thorpe. I don't know. I've always been sort of fascinated by him. Name. Yeah. Like anyone who can do things at that level in different sports. I mean, that's super good. And just what he went through as a human, as a black man. I mean, that it's uh, insane. Um, uh, I guess that's the first name that comes to mind. Um, trying to think, you know, great athletes and years gone by. Obviously Jackie Robinson. I feel like that's a stock answer that a lot of people would give. Dave Sims uh, gave me the answer, Jack, Jackie Robinson. Yeah, I mean, it's anyone who overcomes something, right? So whether it's sexism or racism, discrimination, a poor upbringing, I'm always fascinated by those stories. I think in some, we all kind of are because it's a dramatic arc, right? Like, um, I tell you what, I just finished reading a book, not just, but this summer in the pandemic, I read uh, Satchel Page's, uh, a biography of Satchel Page, a really like good, thick one. And I was a fan, but I didn't really know much about him. And now that I did, I mean, what he went through and then, when Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier, Satchel was considered a much better pitcher, but older and kind of cantankerous and was, he, would, he would sign a contract, play a game, and then leave when he got his money. So it was from his perspective, if I can speak for him, that, you know, was because he, he wouldn't – otherwise, he'd get the raw end of the deal. So he got the money. Great name. Had, right. So, like, what he went through, and then, then Jackie Robinson does break the color barrier – then the Negro Leagues, which had been thriving, they start to pick off the best African-American players, but now the Negro Leagues aren't as good, and Satchel isn't sort of picked quite early enough in that. So like, that would be fascinating to me to find out about that. He had a crazy you know, life in terms of like women and children, and um, that would be, that'd be probably someone else I'd put at the top of the list, too, yeah. Two other what names I'll throw out. I would have, well, I I would have, Jackie Robinson's probably number one. Hank Greenberg, I would have loved to have chatted with. Oh, yeah. Um. There's so many names. I mean, I've some of my guests have given me great names. Mark Pattison, former UW player, former LA Raider. Uh, he gave me the name of Sir Edmund Hillary, the first guy to climb oh, Everest. So I've just gotten from guests just amazing names to both those questions. You know You've what? contributed say, those great names. So. That's funny you said that. So yeah. I have this fascination with Mount Everest. I don't mm -hmm. know why, but it's from Into Thin Air, the book by John Krakauer. Great book. Great book. Oh my gosh, my favorite book ever. And uh, if I could interview him, I've listened to podcasts with him, and I've you know read many of his other books. But like to interview him find out what happened that day you know i that's uh that would i'd be super excited about my that guess would give me great answers steve speaking of discrimination i'm gonna ask you a pretty tough question and i, okay. I want to get i want to get your perspective on this so the part owner of the golden state warriors recently made some comments on his podcast about the uyghur community in china and I believe it's predominantly a Muslim community, and they're basically being subjected to concentration camps right now. It's 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 genocide. And he basically said that uh, on his podcast that no one cares about the 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 Uyghurs, and he doesn't care that much himself. Um, should the NBA kick this guy out of the league? That's my first question. Does the NBA have a China problem? I'm just 
wondering, what, what's your take on this? If you can put, kind of take, I want you to get your news perspective, but also your personal perspective on what the NBA should do here. Yeah, well, okay, so my personal perspective is if we, especially as Jews, are going to say never again because of the Holocaust, then I think we should apply that not just to ourselves, but to any group I of agree. people discriminated agree. upon in the same way. So that's like clear black and white to me. Now, does that mean in my personal life, like am I donating to that cause or stopping what I'm doing and moving there and trying to make a change? I'm, I'm not, so I'm a little bit hypocritical. I'll admit that right off the start. And I would not, you know, haven't listened to the podcast. I remember hearing that story sort of came in and out of the news. I would say I would almost want to listen to the whole podcast to, to say, like, I wonder if he said it in the context of, quote, nobody cares only in in so much as it's not in the American news cycle. Again, I don't know. Maybe he's a bigoted man. I, I have no idea. Um, but it could be that he backtracked, I mean, I, by the way, he did backtrack on his comments later. Yeah, because I think it's, it's obviously true that it's not a part of our daily news cycle. Right. Like we talk about COVID every single day. We don't talk about that at all. Uh, one might argue that the news media should. You could also argue there are atrocities all over the world all the time. It, there's only so many minutes in a, in a newscast. Like that, that's what I defend when people say, "Well, why, never, why don't you talk about this? Why don't you talk about that?" And it's you can't talk about it all. And what and sometimes whatever you do talk about either turns people off or uh, doesn't you know doesn't impact people on an immediate daily basis. So anyway, that's getting a little bit away from your from your question. But like in terms of the NBA, like they certainly have a problem. Because you saw what happened with Daryl Morey in China. Time is a, a weird thing in a pandemic. But one or two years ago, with you know, when he makes a tweet, um, and it, it the NBA loses, you know, I guess it was billions of dollars. Um, yeah, that's a that's a big problem. But you know, China puts in billions of dollars into the NBA. So just like any entity, you know, if whoever um, facilitates this podcast from happening and says, you know, I don't want you to ask a question about the NBA, do you? Okay, I have to find a new way to get a podcast, or do I just not ask NBA questions? I think it's a complicated um, relationship, and it certainly is problematic. I assume because the NBA, those... the NBA, and other leagues have taken action on other yeah. incidents that involved racism. I don't know if what he said was technically racism, but saying that I don't care about this community that's going through genocide. I don't know, Steve. It, the, I think the right. NBA has a little hypocrisy there. I mean, Donald Sterling got kicked out for. Um, yes. racist paper. I don't know. I know it's a different story, but th there's a, you know, there's something there though, I think. Yeah. I, and, and again, I, I hate to sort of like, um, you know, beg off of the question, but without yeah. hearing or knowing too many of the details, I don't want to like lay in on a guy and say, he's got to be, I, I don't know. I, because again, I don't know what the context of him saying, I don't care as well, much maybe as he's I fine. About. I don't know. I'm just, well, like, I so if I, even now, like if, yeah. if I say the sentence, I don't care about that as much as I care about brain cancer with children. Yeah. Now, if somebody just edits out the, I don't care about that, it looks like I said, I don't care about that. Well, no, I was just saying compared to this because this has affected my life more personally and I can maybe do more. So I just, that, I, so that's what like, I'll, I'll sort of like give him that. If, if you put that aside and say, no, Steve, it was taken in context. I've listened to the whole thing and it was, it was pretty racist. Then I would say he should be um, disciplined appropriately, whether that's out of the league or if he's rich enough to own part of a team, donate a million dollars to the cause or do, you know, social, you know, uh, outreach for the cause. You could, you could argue, okay, well, let's say we're going to punish him. What's the best punishment? Is it, is it educate him? Is it put him face to face with people who are affected by it? Is it fly him over there and have him see it for himself? Uh, you know, I, there's different outcomes yeah. that you might, one might want out of that, but I think it's hard. 
assuming that it's taken within context, it's hard to argue against it being an issue that should be dealt with on some big level. I understand. I understand. This is Paul Schnarrig and host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainer Avenue Radio. I'm with the great Steve Bunin right now, King 5 reporter, also former ESPN reporter. I asked my listeners to uh, like my uh, podcast. You can go to... Um, Spotify, YouTube, other sites, and feel free if anyone has any questions for Steve to, to pine in here. Actually, I have a question for you. It came from somebody I ran into the other day, and I told him I was having on your show, and he wanted me to ask you if you think ESPN has an East Coast bias on sports issues. Uh, in short, yes. Again, this is going to take it out of context. Steve Yoon and Rips ESPN. No, no, no. Love my time there. Love it. Well, I would say that the more accurate call is a big team bias which is also it's the tail wagging the dog a little bit so i'll quickly explain so we would do more stories on certainly the jets with tim tebow when he was there and the giants and the yankees and the red sox all these east coast teams we also did more stories on the dallas cowboys and the la dodgers than the la angels right so it's as much an east east coast bias is also because some of those over at historically great teams are are from the east coast because that's where a lot of sports started because it's where our country started right so um i think that's that's one thing uconn women's basketball another example we would cover way more of them than washington when the huskies would have a good season or, or even tennessee when they were as good but then the other thing the tail wags the dog a little bit because when they we would see these ratings so you put yankees royals on and i'll just make up a number but the rating is a two 2.6 you put on the Royals and the Mariners, and it's a 1.2. Well, so it doubles the, you know, whatever it is, doubles the ratings, let's just say. And then the same thing is true, especially Yankees against the Red Sox, but Yankees against any team compared to any team against any team. And if the ratings are double, at some point, ESPN is a business. The idea is to, you know, of course, entertain and inform, but to make money. They make money off advertising revenue. They can charge more if the people are watching. So if you're the people running ESPN, it doesn't make any sense to put on the Mariners and Angels as often as the Yankees and whoever. So uh, then over time, that just the snowball effect, right? So, well, then the Mariners will never have good ratings because you never put them on. So no one can fall in love with them the way they fall in love or hate the Yankees. So it, it becomes this um, snowball effect. And so the impact is real. And I, having been there, I can definitely attest to it because uh, like, for instance, there, it wasn't the Seahawks, but it was, it was the Mariners and Yankees or something like, like, I think it was the Oakland A's and the Yankees had an, uh, a playoff series, Oakland wins. So the next morning we're doing, or next afternoon, we're doing ESPN news segment. And I say, we got to ask, you know, an Oakland question first. They move on, they're playing the whatever Tigers. Let's break it down. No, no, no. The big thing that people care about, and this is what comes from above. The people care about the Yankees. What's next for the Yankees? And I said, I just feel like on principle, we need to ask about the winners first. Now I can ask one question about Oakland and then three about the Yankees to satisfy that idea that people care more about the Yankees. But I said, it's just wrong that we're asking about the losers instead of the winners. And I'm pretty sure I lost that battle. And that's where it hurts as a West Coast you know, guy over there where you say you're not treating them. It's not that they have to be treated equally, but they're not treated fairly. So uh, I think that's part of it. But like Gonzaga is a team that broke through that. So now Gonzaga, small Jesuit school from Spokane, it maybe took longer than it would have had it been Pitt or St. John's, you know, a small, uh, you know, uh, religious school in New York. If St. John's is doing well, they'll get more time probably then Gonzaga, maybe not now, but right through the 90s and 2000s. So, but now that Gonzaga is a big school, they'll get more shine than maybe Michigan, Wisconsin, some big 10 game, because now they're so good that now they're getting big time recruits. So 
in short, in summary, yes, there's a there's an East Coast bias a little bit because a lot of the people who work there are from New York, Boston, or in between. Because that's ESPN is people know it's Bristol, Connecticut is exactly halfway between New York City and and uh, Boston. So there's a lot of people who work there. They grew up Yankees fans. They grew up Red Sox fans. They grew up Boston Bruins. That, that colors their their world. And my world is colored by Pac-12, Seahawks, Mariners, Sonics, etc. Uh, so we all bring that to the table. So if you have 10 people in a room and seven of them are, are basically from the Northeast-ish, well, that's 70% of the input is going to be there. That's also, I mean, not to get more serious, but I think that's a good example of why diversity is so important in any workplace, not just geographical in when you're talking about sports and what should we cover, but are, how many women are out of that 10 people in, the, in our sports center meeting? How many were women? How many were not, how many were people of color? Uh, you know, how many were disabled? How many, anything, like anything outside of the of white male. So um, I think that sort of informed me. And I'll tell you, when I was working in Houston radio, it was uh, one of the frustrating things to me was not 100%, but by and large, it was very white male dominated industry in rooms. So you're, you're with your producer, your co-host, yourself, obviously white male. There just wasn't that much diversity. And I remember when I came back and even interviewing for the job at King 5, just walking around the newsroom again, I was like, oh, this is, it was a, it was a nice revelation, a re-revelation of like, okay, this is much more balanced in terms of who I'm seeing around me. It's just not all white men. And I, and, and so anyway, and the more silly point, yes, in ESPN that does exist. Well, I, I think the listeners will enjoy, and I do, hearing your your literal firsthand perspective on that because you, you were at ESPN for nearly a decade and a lot, a lot of insights there. Hey, I want to ask a, a personal Steve Buting question here. Um, the sports media... Uh, Sports Illustrated media critic, I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Richard Deutsch, called you once one of the most underrated talents in sports journalism. I got two questions for you. How did you feel being called an underrated media talent, and why was there a perception that you were underrated when you were at ESPN? That's a great question. So that's a funny story, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Richard Deutsch, uh, very close, Sports Illustrated. I, didn't, I had no idea who he was. Again, Twitter was like just starting out when, when this was probably 2010 or 11. So it wasn't like it is now where now I follow him and everyone, it, it was, right. I think it was in his, in an uh, online art, like on si.com. Anyway, so somebody told me like, Hey man, you got this great shout out. I had no idea who he was. It's not like we were buddies and I was a source for him. And so he was yeah. doing me a favor. I just, it came out of nowhere. So it was really rewarding. Um, I think, I think probably why he's, well, I guess you have to ask him, but the, in terms of being underrated, I took it as a huge compliment. I never took it as like a backhanded, like, I th- you know, and you're, you're saying I'm not good. No, it was like, I'm in this world where there's a lot of high profile, Scott Van Pelt and Kenny Maine and Linda Cohn and all these, and they're all deserving. I'm not taking away from any the of them. The late Stuart Scott, you know. The, you Stuart know. Scott, right. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. you know, titans in the business. So I was always, I always felt hum- humbled to like, I'm working alongside them because again, a year and a half before I'm coaching Yeshiva High School Basketball in Seattle. What a story. So, you know, from a year from that, and I'm working along with Dan Patrick. He, I'm hanging, you know, we're in the cafeteria. I'm in line getting pasta behind Dan Patrick. Like, what? So... The fact that anyone recognized me and said I was an underrated just as like he's not one of those guys you ever think about. If you're going to say who works at ESPN, all those people I talked about, you know, and then 10 more people and Bob and, and 10 more people after that. And, and then eventually maybe you come to me if you're my mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people. I, but but again, I'm not taking I'm not trying to be falsely humble. I was very proud to be there. There's only about 40 anchors at a time. Um, I, but to be singled out as, as underrated to me just was like a. Uh, validation that I was doing good work and it may not have been on the highest profile shows, but it was on what I considered important shows outside the lines. It wasn't the 11 o'clock sports center after the Super Bowl. 
you know, I'm not John Anderson and Scott Van Pelt and Neil Everett and Stanford. Those guys are at that level. And I did shows with all those guys, but I wasn't at that level. Now, I did. A, well, you had a great school. run there. You did good work there. You, know, I Steve, you, brought, you brought a lot there. It's sort of like you have a movie with 10 great actors. There yeah. may be yeah. seven or eight that are just a little more well-known. doesn't mean that two or three others are, are yeah. you know, still well, very talented and, actors, you know? So. And like you said about my, my job at King five, like I was yeah. a little bit of a Swiss army knife there at ESPN too. I did, outside the lines i did baseball tonight i did nfl i did sports center and i i like that i like variety in my life and i like that ability to move in different worlds and i think that served me well at espn and that also probably contributed to me having a little lower profile so it was great to hear that from him steve can i get about three more questions in hit me let's do it uh this is a much lighter topic and i've been asking this question to various guests the last few months having a lot of fun with this question uh what's your favorite sports movie hoosiers not even close and you were like a now, Gene Hackman at Yeshiva High School, right? I love right? a bunch more, but Hoosiers is, I can quote every line. My daughter has it. I have a t-shirt. I have the poster downstairs. Hoosiers is my number one. That's a great one. And Gene Hackman retired from active acting about no. seven, eight years ago. So he's one of the titans anymore. in our industry. And by the way, there's no other correct answer. The only correct answer is Hoosiers. Well, I, I've got a lot of answers. I, I've gotten, you know, um, Hoop Dreams and... Yes. Uh, um, a lot of movies are coming. You, you, you know, one, one, one sports movie I watch, kind of a sports science fiction movie I finally watch is Rollerball with James Caan. That's a fun one. And Brian Song has come up with James Caan, too. I, I'm oh, trying to get James Caan on my show, by the way, but we'll, we'll, see, if that happens. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Michigan State guy, I believe. He may have been, yeah, yeah. That's a great name, though. Uh, a great movie, Hoosiers. That, uh, several guests have also mentioned that. Okay, I'm going to go back to something more serious. Um one of the biggest sports controversies in 2021 is listed as Naomi Osaka's refusal to attend press conferences. Just for the listeners, uh, she's a 23-year-old, I believe, a 24-year-old tennis player. And back in May of 2021, four days before the start of the French Open, Naomi, a four-time Grand Slam winner, announced via Twitter that she would not be taking questions from the press at the tournament. She mentioned some mental health concerns and she was facing fines and possible expulsion from the tournament for her refusal to attend media events. So she stepped aside from this tournament. Um, what is your professional media take on this? And was someone who just was clearly uncomfortable um, dealing with the press? G give me your media take and, I, I, and a little more. I just was curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I have a, I mean, I have different opinions on that. And part of it is probably not too popular, which is that, I do think there's a responsibility, maybe it's out of tradition, um, that uh, you know athletes have to answer to the to the media, and the um, process in tennis is such that after a match is over, you go in and you sit in the conference room, and usually there's only one or two reporters, if any, but at a grand slam it's more, and that you have to you know kind of answer now, it, and in, and in most sports that's true, right? In the NFL, they require players to be available, especially like in the Super Bowl. You can't you know now you can be like Marshall Lynch and say I don't want to talk. I'm not here to talk. You can say whatever you want, but there's responsibility to, to do it. So my initial reaction was like, how can I, I couldn't understand how you could have, you could deal with the pressure of playing uh, in a stadium in front of 20,000 people, you know, against Serena Williams, you can deal with that pressure, but you can't deal with Steve Bunin asking you what happened in the third set. Um, but, you know, there's also that like, again, married to my wife. People have their comfort like, zones though, Steve. Right, right. And language barrier is something. Comfort zone is something. Um, everyone has different triggers is something. And I, so I sort of, my initial reaction was that. And then I sort of evolved. My wife also was talking to me like, that doesn't sound like you, Steve. Usually you're more empathetic. And I thought, I am more empathetic. Wait a minute. Why am I not being as empathetic? And I realized it's because 
you know, my, again, my position is I'm racing to, to deadline. I, I just need two or three sound bites. I don't consider it that hard. I'm not asking you to answer questions about, you know, you know, thick questions on genocide or cancer that you and I are talking about. This is just like what happened in the fourth set. What could you have done better? How can that really be taxing to you mentally? But that's also very narrow. That's a very steep perspective. I don't, I don't know what it's like. What if that does trigger me? What if the, the action of the sport is not hard, but talking about it is hard? So I guess what I hope is that there might be some workaround that's a compromise. Maybe, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's, it's right that everyone else has to do it, maybe, and she doesn't, but maybe it could be done in a different way. Maybe it's virtual. Maybe if she's more comfortable uh, talking through, an, and I'm just inventing this, but through an interpreter and, she, and they can siphon the question so that you can at least have some interchange of ideas and questions and answers without, because I, I also empathize with other players on tour. If I, if I don't want to do it, but it's not a mental health issue, um, but well, you know, I have to, I have to do it. Why doesn't she have to do it? I have to answer, you know, Serena Williams answers the questions. Why doesn't it? So I think there, there's probably a good middle ground that my initial reaction, I'm not as proud of what I first thought. And I like to think that I've evolved a little bit on it. And I hope that she does too. And that, you know, she, she finds a way to be able to communicate, um, either out of obligation to the other players on tour who have to do it or those who came before her or to grow the sport or, or just to herself. Um, it or- seems harsh to me having a tennis association threatening to ban someone or fine them, fine them who just is not comfortable talking. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Maybe there's a middle ground, but that was yeah. my initial reaction. Yeah, and well, like with Marshawn Lynch. I remember when Marshawn Lynch was doing that at the Super Bowl and I was doing Houston Radio at the time, and I was ripping him, and I was saying, first of all, I think it's rude. Like, it's not that hard. Now, again, I don't, this is not conflating his situation with Naomi Osaka's, who seems to be sincere about her, her mental health issues with this. But with him, I thought he, he just didn't want to speak or he thought media is beneath him. And that's another thing. Like, I've dealt with so many athletes or uh, who think that they're, you know, above you. Like, I can't believe I have to answer this question. And it's more out of arrogance than out of a true concern of their health. And so having dealt, having been on the recipient of that, where you're like, you're begging for two seconds with somebody and they kind of look at you and, um, you know, yeah. figuratively spit on you as they're telling, you know, so then, it, then it's hard to have more empathy for them because I feel like they're just demeaning to, to us as an industry in the, in the media. So that probably also colored my uh, reaction as opposed to had I not had, has that not happened to me for 10 or 15 years and I have to be deferential to these athletes, maybe I would have had a different perspective on it. You have about three more minutes, Steve, right? Yeah, right. for sure. Two more quick questions. I want to respect yeah, yeah. your time. You've been generous for your time. Um, can you think of a question you did not ask in an interview um, that you wish you asked. You look back and thought, gosh, you either got cold feet or you forgot or you just wasn't the right timing. Oh, yeah. Any question you wish that you, you asked you didn't ask? I'm sure there's a lot of them. Uh, gosh, I, I, I'm trying to think one off the top of my head. I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head, but I can remember that it happened enough uh, that while I was at ESPN, I learned ask my most important question first because it did happen where I would, I was saving the best for last. And then we ran out of time. It was like, they have a five minute window and I got to three and a half minutes and I had asked three silly questions and I couldn't ask the big one. Um, so although you can't necessarily come into a contra, you know, a confrontational interview and just ask a super hard question right away. Sometimes you need to like establish a little bit of a rapport. Tone. I've learned that. Right, right. Yeah. But I also did learn, like, if I, if I have one that I want to ask, I ask it and I wish I could give you that example, but there were, there were enough of them that it, that it helped change how I did my interviews and, and, 
Uh, so like with Chuck Todd, I always ask what I consider my most important question first. If he's going to. By go the way, off, I asked our friend Softy Mar that same question. He said he couldn't think of any of anyone. <laughs> that was Softy's answer. So. I, I can think yeah. of too many that I can't okay. remember one. But I can sure. too. I can't in my, yeah. in my little podcast. Well, final question, Steve. You were a Mariners bat boy, and we talked about that when you were on my my show in 2019. Um, we just signed Robbie Ray, a, a star pitcher. Uh, I got a question for you. Are the M's going to make the World Series in the 2020s? Are we finally going to get there? Yes. Yes, 2020. You say not yes. 20, not this season, not 2022. I don't want people to get to. Like, I, I think they're actually primed for a little bit of a step back. I think they're going to grow forward, but I'm a big – I read a lot of analytics, and 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 it's a, it's, it has so much baggage to that word. Evidence. Evidence shows that teams like the Mariners who win a lot of close games and the bullpen is great almost always drop off the next year. It's it once out of, I think I saw an article all about this. I think it was once in the last 15 seasons with a team that had the stats that we did I say we, that the Mariners had one, like improved, but almost all like 19 out of the 20 all took a step back because those all fall back to the, the mean, but the difference between then, how do they do the following year? Those teams that were built the way the Mariners are, they all then they had a little step back and then they jumped forward. So I'm okay if they only win 82 games next year because I feel like they're moving in the right direction. And I think Ray is a perfect signing. I told all my buddies what they need is a thumper, like a, like a you know a, a Chris Bryant type, and they need a true ace. And all the love for Marco. You Gonzalez think by 2025 we'll get in the World Series? Is that yeah, kind of? Okay. I actually do. Love I do. It. I think they're building it the right way. I think the pitching is there. They got young hitters coming up. I think Julio Rodriguez, J Rod is going to be amazing. I can't wait to watch him play. So I am optimistic about the future. Yes. Steve, I really appreciate you coming back on Sports Untold. I definitely want to get you back uh, sooner than between the the 59th, 111th <laughs> editions, if you would, if you. But great to have you on Sports Untold. A lot of fun. I obviously have a lot more questions for you, but we can get them another time so thanks, thanks for, for doing this again you. steve all the best happy new year to you thank you thanks steve god bless you too thanks